Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year from us all at TNT Radio. Interviews, news, and views. This is State of the Nation with Steve Hook and Brian McClain. Today's News Talk, TNT Radio. All right. Well, it looks like we are here on State of the Nation on TNT Radio. Just uh, thrilled to be with you as we wind down the week and get ready for the big holiday season here. We've got a big show for you, though, and it's me, Steve Hook, broadcasting live from the Jersey Shore. My man, Brian Hesher McLean, is doing it live from Central Texas. Hello, Hesh. How are you, brother? Hey, Merry Christmas, Steve. Very happy to be here with you. Close out this week. This is going to be the final state of the nation before Christmas. So, yeah, very happy to be here with you, and Merry Christmas, Steve. It is It is going to be. I hope it's going to be a Merry Christmas for everyone. Uh, and as we were talking off air, I said, I want to get the first two stories out of the way <laughs> just so I don't bah humbug my way through the whole show because the first, <laughs> the first story – uh, although, you know, Hesh, I always look for the silver lining, and the first story does kind of lead into the second story, and the second story might, in a weird way, be the silver lining to this story. Um, uh, this just going down today, the White House uh, has unveiled, and environmentalists are going, just they're just loving this, White House unveils strict hydrogen regulations in a victory for environmentalists. Sounds good, huh? Well, here's the story. The White House unveiled highly anticipated guidance, placing significant restrictions on the type of hydrogen power development eligible for general federal tax credits, Uh, generous federal tax credits, that is. The proposed guidance released Friday morning, that would be today, a joint announcement with the White House, Treasury Department, and the Department of Energy. So you get all three of these these big, uh, uh, you know, Leviathan uh, bureaucracies involved. It's going to tether the 2022 Inflation Reduction Act. And as we talked about off air, that should have been called the uh, U.S. Economic Destruction Act. Uh, It's the highest production of uh, credit, $3 per kilogram of hydrogen. So these are the credits they're going to to introduce, Hesh. And it sounds great, but here's the way it works. The Inflation Reduction Act's hydrogen tax credit will help build a clean hydrogen industry that will be critical in reducing emissions from harder to decarbonize sectors like heavy industry and heavy transportation. That's what John Podesta, he of course is President Biden's clean energy czar, said, well, first of all, what what made John Podesta a clean energy czar? Uh, I, I don't know that he knows a damn thing about clean energy. This guy's been in just about every cabinet position you can be in over the years. Uh, and none of them had a damn thing to do with clean energy, but that's what Podesta says. And when I hear that, it's going to, you know, to harder to harder to clean or decarbonize like heavy industry and heavy transportation. You know what that means? That means they're going after heavy industry and heavy transportation. That's what that means. Today's announcement will further unprecedented investments in a new American-led industry as we aim to lead and propel the global clean energy transition, says Jennifer Granholm, the energy secretary. A hydrogen has the potential to clean up America's manufacturing industry, power the transportation sector, there you go, and shore up our energy security while developing Uh, delivering good-paying jobs and new economic opportunity to communities in every pocket of America. And I don't believe a word of that. This is a great way to spread some wealth around to their base and to start up green energy companies. Hesh, what do you think about all of that? 
Uh, first off, anytime John Podesta or any friend of the Clintons opens his mouth, I close my ears. I don't want to hear it. Uh, clean energy czar. I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, I kind of pushed that one to the back of my psyche because uh, all of the czars that have been appointed under the Biden regime have been ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous choices. Uh, you know, like they're uh, like that other clean energy guy that likes to wear dresses and steal them from people at airports. Likes that. Yeah, he was a new guy. Bag. Yeah, you just yeah. take it. It's got some nice Sephora makeup in there, probably that he could wear on his way to jail. Uh, but anyways, so that we got that going on here, and and th this whole idea of of this revolutionizing heavy industry and heavy transportation, have we not revolutionized uh, heavy industry and heavy transportation already, and then offshored it to other countries, and then actively worked to destroy our heavy transportation? Because that's what I'm seeing going on here. So yeah, crazy. Uh, the, the, these tax credit incentives to add what? Uh, what are we adding here? More bureaucracy, more red tape to hydrogen, and you know, uh, in the, are India and China going to do it too? Uh, no, nope. because if we if we play in their little sandbox of clean energy, that's the uh, question that's begged: Is our little three hundred and thirty million people country uh, even a drop in the water if uh, India and China aren't doing it? So, yeah, and energy security, okay, contingent on bureaucrats and the weather. Sounds real secure. Love it. Well, well, here's, let me just say this, because we got to get to our man Ruckus, but I got to just give you my silver lining, because here it All is. Right. Just to show you how pie in the sky, absolute insane this kind of garbage is. By the way, U.S. voters are probably going to reject it. Certainly, uh, judging by the polling numbers of the Democrat Party, uh, it's not going to go over too well, but Maine was on the verge of adopting California's EV mandates, uh, but power outages delayed the votes. Maine was prepared. To, <laughs> you got to just love it. Maine was prepared to adopt California-led uh, electric vehicle mandates, but the vote had to be delayed due to power outages resulting from strong New England storms this week. So this is God kind of saying, hey, maybe the EVs aren't going to work. You can't even hold your vote because the power's out. And even if the power were on, all of these EVs would probably put such a strain on it that it would go out anyway. So so there's the silver lining. Sometimes uh, these things happen in mysterious ways. They were going to hold a vote and they had to cancel it because of power outages for electric vehicles. There's irony on top of irony in that story. Uh, and I just loved it. So there's your silver lining, as, as promised. <laughs> yeah, Maine, take note. You're already having problems like California, so don't adopt the policies that led California to said similar problems. Exactly, especially when you live in Maine and you're going to have nor'easters and you're going to have this kind of crap. It's ridiculous. Hey, by the way, don't miss out on a thing. Make sure you download the TNT radio app. We all have it downloaded, and you should too. You can get it on the Apple App Store or the Google Play, and you can easily listen to us live anywhere, anytime, whenever. It's available right now to download. Get on that, man, as we keep you up to speed on TNT Radio. Delivering the facts. Source I can trust. Today's News Talk Radio. TNT. All right. Well, here we go. Let's bring Ruckus into the mix. What do you say? Another one bites the dust. This uh, For a Jersey guy, this story makes me feel good because it's not about Trenton uh, corruption. It's about Chicago corruption, which is uh, very rampant. On Thursday, former Chicago alderman and longtime political boss, Democrat Ed Burke, 
was found guilty of 13 criminal counts in federal court in keeping with the Chicago tradition. Here with the story, TNT Radio News producer Adam Clark, a.k.a. Ruckus. Ruckus, are you telling me that politicians in Chicago are corrupt? I can't believe it. Well, yeah, sorry to bring the bad news to everybody just before Christmas. But yes, alas, it is true. We we here in America are suffering from longtime serving lawmakers who frequently, you know, flout the law. Go figure. <laughs> it rules for thee, but not for me. That's the way we do things. Um, yeah, Ed Burke, he's one of the most powerful and longest serving politicians in the Windy City. But that didn't stop him from being found guilty on Thursday of racketeering, bribery, and attempted extortion. This is after a six-week-long federal corruption trial. The 79-year-old <clears throat> Democrat, yep, that's right, uh, was convicted on 13 of the 14 charges leveled against him in a 2019 federal indictment, which accused the veteran Chicago City Council member of using his position, say it isn't so, to steer business from private developers to his law firm. Prosecutors also alleged that Burke threatened to block a measure, measure, excuse me, raising admission fees at Chicago's famed Field Museum over its failure to grant an internship to internship to the daughter of a former alderman whom he had recommended. Oh, you mean like nepotism? Okay, cool. Uh, I'm so shocked to hear any of this. Uh, Burke's shakedown scheme targeted the developer working on a $600 million renovation of Chicago's old post office, a Burger King in the former Alderman's 14th Ward, and Midwest liquor store chain, Binnie's Beverage Depot. Oh, Binnie's, you just let me down. Um, Burke told, let's see, quote, did we land the uh, tuna? End quote. That's what Burke told former alderman Danny Solis, who wore a wire for two years as federal authorities investigated the case in an apparent reference to his desire to land the old post office developer as a client for his law firm, which happens to specialize in property tax appeals. Yeah, you can notice the conflicts of interest if you pay attention in another recording. Uh, Played for the jury, uh, Burke told Solis that the developers could go F themselves if they thought that they would get favorable treatment from him without their business. <laughs> really acting like a Chicago mafia kind of guy. The disgraced city official also repeatedly played up that he could help the developer. Uh, six, 601W Companies LLC of New York in a dispute with Amtrak because of his close ties with a board member for the rail operator. Uh, Burke said in a one of these recordings that was revealed, quote, we made his daughter a judge here in Cook County, and one of their other daughters is a friend of my daughter. You'll find out Chicago is a very small town, end quote. He also said some contentious things, um, but uh, here's something else he said to his colleague, referring to a lead developer of the old post office renovation, uh, who happens to be Jewish. He said, quote, Jews are Jews, and they'll deal with Jews to the exclusion of everybody else unless there's a reason for them to use a Christian, end quote. Um, Burke was also accused of shutting down remodeling work at a Burger King uh, owned by one Zohab Dahani after the fast food franchise operator did not respond to Burke's request to employ his law firm. Um, yeah, so this guy was running around just doing his thing, but he got caught and now he's uh, been found guilty. And uh, I, I had it up, but they, they I think they throw in a maximum prison sentence for this in federal prison would be 110 years. That's just from memory here.
But yeah, that would be pretty crazy because the guy's like old already. So what do you guys think? <laughs> no shock. I just, I mean, I'm just, yeah, yeah, yeah I, he's old already, which tells me he's probably had a lifetime of Illinois corruption under his belt. Chicago continues to become, you know, it, it, it's a punchline. And then when everybody stops laughing, it it, it makes another joke. Blagojevich, hell, we go through the entire daily administration from years gone by. Uh, not to mention uh, uh, Lori Lightfoot and this guy, Brandon Johnson, we got now. And now you've got uh, uh, Burke corrupt to the core. I mean, he's making Chicago proud. There you go. What do you think, Ash? Well, I, I, I can't help but notice sort of this, like, um, this this is becoming a trend. You know, I was following the Alex Murdoch story, or Murdoch story uh you know, over the last couple of years. And it's amazing how some of these long serving, uh, you know, lawyers who are also politically active, uh, the, 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 the crime count that they can rack up. I mean, uh, you know, you look at the, the Murdoch uh, case and it's just like, wow, this is like generations of degeneracy by, you know, one of the you know, the, the landmark families, the, you know, the big name families. Now, uh, Chicago is a little bit bigger of a, a place, but when it comes to like those seats of power, you know, be they lawyers, be they politicians, business people, mobsters, I don't know, mafiosos, uh, or deep staters, it, it really is amazing how they can hit a certain age and all of a sudden their crimes catch up to them. And I would wager that there's probably we got he was convicted on 13 of 14 charges. I bet if the investigation would have started 20 years ago, uh, this same situation could have happened. So you got to wonder how people, uh, you know, quote unquote, serve so long. And then it comes out that they're absolute degenerates. You know, I mean, <laughs> Jimmy Savile might be another example in a different swim lane. <laughs> in England. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. He served for a long time and now he's going to serve for a long time. Yeah. It's the rest of his time. <laughs> <laughs> what? It's, it's specific... just, it's the Cook County way. Yeah. I was going to say, you, you, you mentioned that he served for a long time. So I, I guess I should report how long he served. It was an astonishing 54 years uh, Burke, that is, during which time he served as chair of its finance committee for three decades. So um, and everyone everyone kind of knew him. Uh, they kind of knew he was corrupt. In fact, uh, federal agents uh, raided his offices in 2018, charged him with numerous defense, uh, numerous offenses related to corruption in January of 2019. But that didn't stop him from cruising to reelection in 2019, winning by almost 25 points. So come on, Chicagoans, you get what you vote for. Come on. <laughs> yeah, well stated. Uh, you get the government you deserve at the very least. So you, you know what it reminds me of, really? You know what it kind of reminds me of? In Philadelphia, the sports fans in Philadelphia are renowned for being the rowdiest, uh, the most contentious, their F you to everybody, and they take a certain pride in their a-holishness. That's the way Chicago views its politics. They almost take this kind of this gallows humor pride in the fact that they're corrupt to the core. So they're all corrupt. We might as well reelect him, I guess. It seems kind of odd. There you go. Yeah.
<clears throat> well, maybe, maybe, um, you know, maybe Ed Burke is one of Brandon Johnson's uh, mentors here. <laughs> Brandon <laughs> clearly thinks he's above the law. And uh, with mentors like that, maybe that would lead to something there that might explain that. All right. Thank you, Ruckus. This is State of the Nation on today's News Talk TNT Radio. TNT Radio's Steve Malzberg. 13 Israeli hostages released uh, as part of that ceasefire deal. Uh, 49 days after they were taken hostage. 49 days. So that still leaves about 225 to 227 more hostages. Uh, I'm with John Bolton, the former National Security Advisor to Donald Trump. I'm with Britt Hume of, uh, of Fox News. I'm with a bunch of other people who say this gives Hamas too much time to do whatever they want to do, to do whatever they need to do, to regroup, to rearm, to re-strategize. And as much as you want the hostages back, it can't be at the expense of the other part of the mission, which is to destroy Hamas. So I think it's a mistake. Steve Malsberg on TNT Radio. The Light is Britain's far-right conspiracy theory paper spreading hate and vicious lies. No, that's what the BBC say. The Light is the only national newspaper bringing you the real news and informed opinion on what's really going on today. You can subscribe, order copies, submit articles, and read back issues on our website, thelightpaper.co.uk, and see for yourself why the establishment are so worried about the uncensored truth getting out to people every month. The Light Paper. Not for right, just right so far. thelightpaper.co.uk the human mind is like a computer, no matter how efficient it may be. Its reliability is only as great as the information fed into it. That's a campaign promise! Tell us the truth. Tell us the truth. We mandate that the truth be told. You're hearing it. TNT. That's right, we do. Right here at today's News Talk, this is State of the Nation. Now, I met our next guest at the American Liberty Awards. He's a TNT radio host, and he's been doing a weekend show until recently, and now he's here on TNT Monday through Friday in the hour before State of the Nation when I'm almost always listening. It's a fantastic show, and uh, we're very proud to have it be the lead-up to State of the Nation. The Charlie Robinson Show takes a humorous look at the insanity of our globalized society with a particular focus on the media, banking, and government institutions that mistakenly believe that they have the authority to control humanity charlie robinson is our guest charlie it was a pleasure to meet you in person this year one of the highlights of my year and congratulations on your monday to friday show you're doing a great job it looks amazing well thank you after my show wraps up there's nowhere to go but up i assure you so i uh <laughs> i appreciate the uh leading into you guys you guys can handle it from here but yeah it was great to meet you in in austin at the american liberty awards we had some late night street tacos out there there was a whole scene going on of course tnt was nominated for um a, an award at the american liberty awards the first i think annual i think they're going to keep yeah. doing this uh yeah year yeah. after year yeah it'll be it's it was a lot of fun i really couldn't have had a better time if i tried and it was great to hang out with you and Havore um afterwards and so uh, yeah i'm excited to be here at tnt radio i think there's a lot going on 2024 is going to be a big year for this place in particular i think that people are dying for authentic news news that they can make up their own decisions on right like i don't need to tell you how to feel i'll to lay out some of the facts about this you feel how you want to feel right i'm not selling you anything i don't think that's the strategy here at tnt radio we're, we're filling a major hole 
left by the mainstream media, which is they're trying to convince you how to think. And we're just trying to tell you what's going on. And, uh, and it seems like I remember that's how the news, at least that's how I felt like it used to be. Maybe, you know, when I was a kid, those days are gone. But uh, when there's a hole in the marketplace, it will be filled. And I think that TNT radio is here to fill that need. So come on, get weird with us in 2024, because it feels like the wheels are going to be falling off this American experiment in the next year. Yeah. Oh, God. Hey, Charlie, Steve. Okay. Yeah. You had me up until that last part. I hope the wheels don't fall off, but yeah, it certainly does feel that way. Oh, and you're right. I'm, so it, it, it's safe I'm not to trying say to speak that, it into existence. Believe me, yeah. I don't want it to happen. I'm just saying, <laughs> I'm looking at what I see here and it doesn't look yeah, like well. the beginnings of a good, good year, but we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Well, it, 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 it could start. It's, well, we know it's going to start off horrible because Biden's still going to be in office and uh, all of this crap with the courts is still going to be going on. But hopefully by November, uh, it starts to straighten out. And then January 2024, we can start uh, or 2025, we can start to fly right. We'll have to see. I guess it's safe to say, Charlie Robinson, that you are not sponsored by Pfizer, Moderna uh, or Johnson & Johnson. <laughs> because as you talk about the mainstream media, that's exactly what it is. I mean, I've. I think that people are starting to come around to the fact that the media, uh, yeah, it's kind of like the science. It, it's bought and paid for before it's ever delivered to our ears or eyes. Uh, and, and that's going to be the way uh, the news is dictated going forward. So it, I, I, I just wanted to mention that because I concur with everything you're saying about TNT. And it feels like the wheels are going to stay firmly strapped onto TNT going into 2024. Oh, we're good. We're, we're more than good. The, the clown car that is the American mainstream media, they're in trouble. But TNT is built for speed, baby. We're ready to, to, to roll on this one. And no, I'm not brought to you by Pfizer. Uh, I refuse to participate in this nonsense. I think that it's just as easy to buy a uh, scientist as it is to buy a politician. And we see how easy it is to buy those. So so this is the, the strategy moving forward is that we should, we're going to be all about authenticity. We're going to show you about, we're going to show you what's actually happening. And, uh, and listen, we're talking to adults here, right? all over the world. You tell me how you feel. You know, I mean, I may have this whole thing wrong, but this is how I see a certain situation. Do you agree with it? Do you not? Uh, that's fine. We're, we're, we're allowed to disagree. But as we move into 2024, it feels like uh, everything is coalescing into this one year. And I know that everyone says, well, it's the most important election of our lifetimes or anything. If there is one, Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dot, dot, dot. There could not be an election because because of the direction that things are headed. And and and, and I'm not wishing that, of course, but but I do recognize that the, these people in positions of power have been used to doing things their own way for a very long time. And, and, and a monkey wrench somewhere along the line has been thrown into their operations and they don't like it. And it's very unpredictable for them. And so I think that it's our duty and obligation as, uh, as Americans, as human beings, to stand up against this tyranny and to make it as difficult as we can for these people. The more that we delay their timeline and put them off of their schedule, the more mistakes they make. And so it's beneficial for us to try and be difficult to... Um, to the establishment to counter this narrative, to to hit it with truth and facts, and to not stoop to their level by uh, by trying to propagandize our audiences or our friends and family as we go to, into this uh, this holiday week where we're going to be surrounded by a lot of people. Boy, I'll tell you guys, I have made the mistake in years past 
of bringing up 9-11 at Thanksgiving dinner and watching watching the table turn. Okay, good. I'm not, good, glad to know I'm not alone in that um, in that miscalculation. And so I I approached this this these current uh, holiday weeks ahead of us, and I I'm I'm I've I've decided I'm available if somebody wants to ask me my opinion on what's going on in the world. You know, because I kind of cover it for my day job. I'll give them whatever I've got, but I'm not going to volunteer this information to people that are unwilling <laughs> or unable to handle it. I don't want to start fights. And also, you know, I think a lot of us over the last couple of years have had to prioritize our energy, you know, to make sure that we know that, uh, you know, I can't argue with everybody. I can't change everybody's minds. If you have questions and you want me to answer, I'm always available. But if you want me to sell you on something, I don't know. You have to find somebody else. I got bigger, bigger <laughs> things to worry about than that. Yeah, exactly. I, I've been there, Charlie. And it's like, I'm at the point now I'm so many years into this where it's like, I would like to have a moment to enjoy my holiday. And I'm going there, you know, I'm, I'm disarmed. <laughs> I'm going in disarmed. I'm, I'm ready for whatever you guys want to do, whatever you guys want to talk about. I just spent some time with family that I hadn't seen in quite a while. And I brought up not a single political thing, nothing. If somebody wanted to talk to me about something, that's fine. I think I may have already blown that up, though, in uh, Thanksgiving's past. So they probably know better than to ask me what I think about 9-11 or Joe Biden or Lahaina or whatever. Heard you talking about Lahaina on your show today, by the way. Great yeah. job. Great job. Charlie, we've got a headline inbound here, but I want to pick up and carry on this thought because maybe we can help some other people uh, enjoy their holidays too. Uh, we share this information, you know, our tactic for uh, navigating the holidays uh, seems to be a good one here. This is State of the Nation on today's News Talk TNT Radio. Have you heard the news? The news, the news. Now, TNT Radio News. This is the news. For TNT Radio News, this is James O'Neill. Following the Colorado Supreme Court's decision to disqualify former President Donald Trump from the state's primary ballot, citing his involvement in an insurrection under the 14th Amendment, similar efforts are gaining momentum in other states. An Australian fisherman, Kit Olver, claimed that in late 2014 he discovered a large wing, which he believes was from the missing Malaysia Airlines flight MH370. Don't miss a thing. Be sure to download the TNT radio app from either the Apple App Store or Google Play so you can easily listen live to us anywhere, anytime. Available right now to download. Keeping you up to speed on TNT radio. All right, Charlie Robinson from TNT's Charlie Robinson Show is our guest. Now, Charlie, you know, um, you're talking about the narrative. We talked a little bit about the the mainstream media, the legacy media, the dinosaur media, we've come up with so many great names for it that, you know, kind of put it in its place. Uh, the one that I've uh, gravitated towards is one my friend Mark Anderson, the journalist, uh, coined, and that's the mass media cartel. And we've had a lot of discussions with Mark about the mass media cartel and how the most important thing to them is the narrative. And the narrative um, is a, a double-edged sword in the sense that uh, that narrative is what drives people like like the three of us and like you out there listening or or watching um, to have these discussions at the dinner table, right? It's like we see the narrative. We know it's toxic. We see people drowning in toxic waste at our Thanksgiving or Christmas table, and we say, I'm going after it. I'm going after the narrative. 
But I've found, and maybe you've discovered this too, you and I have a lot of similarities in style and, and thought, I think. Um, I've found that uh, when conversations come up around me, rather than um, giving facts and telling stories and, and this sort of thing, I like to ask them questions. Uh, now I like to take a more interviewer sort of approach and say, oh, well, that's, that's, I'm interested in this topic too. What do you think about this? Or, you know, there's, there's ways in which we can navigate this without, you know, fighting over the narrative, right? Yeah, for sure. And I've done it all the wrong ways you can do it. I've made it a monologue where I've said, now have a seat. I'm going to tell you how this whole thing played out. That doesn't work. The best way to do it is to make it a dialogue. Like exactly as you said, ask questions. Hey, what do you think about this situation? Hey, what do you what do you make of this? Um, to get your your friends or family members to start to have to respond to it. One of the things that you'll find, or at least I've discovered, is that once you get them to 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 start answering some of these questions, not in a interrogative sort of way, but more like, hey, what do you make of this? What you'll find is that a lot of times they've never verbalized it. They've never thought about it, really. They've never said to somebody how they think about it. It's always been programming. And the thing about the narrative is that the truth does not require any maintenance, but narratives do. And in, you'll find that these people have to spend um, quite a bit of time uh, working to manage and finesse and protect the narrative because um, it's not anchored in truth and logic and reality, and it requires constant maintenance. So one of the things I've found is that if you can just get them, if you can get the people to, you know, away from the television and ask them leading questions, maybe questions that you already know the answer to, but questions nonetheless, that gets them to start verbalizing what you'll, what they're thinking, you'll find that a lot of times they halfway through their sentence it'll you'll see the light bulb go on and they'll they'll realize well I don't really don't have an answer for that as an example I asked my friend about the reason why if he could explain to me why there were 38 million cases of the flu back in 2019 but then all of a sudden the the cases dropped to 1822 in 2020 but magically there were 38 million cases of covid his response was masks and I said, really? <laughs> Explain that to me. Uh, how? how? Mass? How? What do you then? What do you attribute to the other? He just goes. He goes. I don't know, man. He just threw his hands up and goes, I don't know. So, so sometimes people haven't even been forced to defend their positions on this. And when you get them, not in a confrontational way, of course, but just in a nice kind of let's talk about what we see here, what's going on in the world. If you get them to verbalize it. Sometimes it will you'll you'll find that it was the very first time that they've ever had to have that conversation with another person. They've just been on the receiving end of the propaganda, but they've never had to actually defend their positions and their positions fall apart rather quickly, I found. Yeah, yeah, they do. Of course they do. Uh, that's why I, uh, around our holiday table, I usually just debate on, uh, you know, who took all the uh, the dark meat off of the platter uh, and didn't save me any. <laughs> I try and avoid these conversations, especially in the holiday season. I'm very happy. I'm very fortunate in that most of my family uh, tends to kind of view the world the way I do. Uh, but I think you're right, Charlie. I mean, people, uh, they're like sponges. They take it all in, uh, but they're not really good at, at, at explaining why they believe what they believe. I mean, you just bring it. You want to start a fight at a dinner table full of, uh, you know, various family members that have different political views. Just mention Donald Trump. Uh, and that'll get the ball rolling and boy, you get the eggnog flowing. And that, before you know it, 
<laughs> it's like a, it's, it's just a damn family fight, but I, I don't, I don't, uh, tend to, uh, get involved in the holidays. I really do try and turn off. I try and decompress. And you know, Hesh, we've had some guests this past week that have talked about searching for the good, hunting for the good, uh, or, or you know, the ministers and the preachers and the, uh, and, and the life coaches we've spoken to over the last couple of weeks. And I think that's important sometimes just to decompress. And to your point, Charlie, those folks, a lot of them, it's not that they, they're apolitically typically. And that's why they get this, this mainstream media gets their hooks into them by basically pitching them all these narratives that, that aren't really based in anything other than uh, progressive emotionalism as far, as far as I can tell. Yeah. Well, great place to get you get, get somebody emotional. Then that way they turn off the logical part of their brain. They start to feel, I feel as though it should go this way. Therefore it is this way. Well, you can feel that way all you want, but if you're getting your information (laughs) from the mainstream corporate media, then you are getting it. You're drinking from a poisoned well. And, and a lot of times the people have never even really considered the fact that in, in relation to COVID, which I think was something that really broke a lot of people's brains. It caused fights at the dinner table and all that good stuff. One of the things that you just have to kind of point out to people is, hey, listen, in the United States of America, the mainstream media for their television news programs get 60% of their ad revenue from the pharmaceutical industry. So do you really think that they're willing to slit their own throats by doing some massive expose on how dangerous the pharmaceutical industry is considering they are in bed with them from a financial standpoint? So I think a lot of people don't even look at the business behind news either and they don't make those connections. They just assume that this is some altruistic endeavor where the news people are all fighting each other from one network to the other to get the best scoop on who can find out the real guts of this story and get it. No, no, no. They're reading it off of Reuters and Associated Press. They're giving them the narratives that they're supposed to read. They're just news readers. They're not thinking. They're robots. They might as well be replaced by robots. They were replaced by robots in China. They put in AI news readers. And my response was, how dare you steal our idea of soulless news reporters? I mean, we've been doing that for decades. <laughs> and here comes China, of course, stealing our technology again, trying to bring in a robot news reporters. But that's where we are. And if people were to understand the dirty business behind the news, I think they would have a much different relationship with the information that comes out of their television. Well yeah, said. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. Wrestling that narrative away from that corporate media, from that mockingbird media, that media that does exactly what the CIA wants it to do is <laughs> tantamount. It's paramount. It's the biggest task of our time. And you know, it, this is a task. This is a battle that may outlast us, you know, so I'm, I'm very pleased to to be here with TNT, uh, with you, Charlie, with you, Steve, and our other colleagues, you know, and Charlie, I heard you on your show today talking about, you know, the absolute bananas factor that is going to be 2024. And, you know, it's just so nice to be here with a, a group of similarly minded people, but you know, all individuals, um, all individuals here at TNT, I've never seen such a large group of reporters, pundits, um, you know, all our producers, our tech people, our board operators, the management. I mean, it's amazing, an eclectic group of people um, who are concerned about that mass media cartel narrative and want to give um, you the option to 
turn away from it and and be here with people like us, you know, normal people, uh, just, you know, a dude that lives in New Jersey, a dude that lives in Colorado and a metalhead that lives in Central Texas, you know, uh, you can't find that anywhere else. And we love the interaction factor too, right, Charlie? We've got that chat room. We've got emails coming inbound to everybody. I mean, we are accessible and we make this uh, TNT uh, provides us this platform and you this platform where you can join us in the chat rooms and whatnot. So, Charlie, I'll leave it to you for any final thoughts. We sure want to thank you and congratulate you on your new slot and your Monday to Friday show. And I hope you have a wonderful Christmas. Thank you very much. Yeah, TNT Radio, the only place where even the commercials are based. You listen right? to them from time to time. I crack myself <laughs> up. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thanks, guys. Have a great Christmas. I'll catch you all next week. See ya. All right. That's Charlie Robinson. Check out the Charlie Robinson show Monday to Friday, 2 p.m. to 3 p.m. Eastern right here on today's News Talk TNT Radio. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. Ignorance and arrogance is going to take down freedom in the Western democracies. I don't even know if you want to call it a democracy anymore. I'm going to again give you some linkage over here because I like to see how things are all linked together. Now, in climate, a lot of people, because of the education system, not only in the United States, but over in Europe and in Australia, are ignorant about what is actually going on. They're also arrogant in their beliefs. In other words, they are so confident of what they know because of what they don't know that they're able to try to sway things in the way they do, and they accept whatever they're told. Now take this latest situation going on in the United States where a major presidential candidate is being banned, supposedly, from a state ballot because he was involved in an insurrection. First of all, no one charged him with insurrection. Secondly, it's just a bunch of people that have been calling it an insurrection. I mean, basically had 200 maniacs that rioted while a couple of thousand people were protesting peacefully. But you see what I'm talking about? I've been listening to commentary on it today and people are totally ignorant of the U.S. Constitution on the matter. For instance, you know it's Congress that has to enforce the law, right? Well, he's not even charged with it in the first place. Now you say, Okay, you're bringing this in. Again, how does that have to do with climate? Ignorance and arrogance. Those are the two weapons. The only way to fight it, you have to stand for the truth. This is TNT Climate and Weather Watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you got. We all know what it's like to feel alone. But it just takes one new connection. Want to get out of here? to empower many. This is unbelievable. It doesn't take a superhero to bring forces together. We all have the power to reach out. Let's go! And help someone feel like they belong. Pretty cool, huh? We are stronger together. Issues that dominate America. This is State of the Nation on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Okay, welcome back to State of the Nation on TNT Radio, and we're so happy to welcome back to the program author Chad Stewart. He, of course, uh, is uh, the author of the Britfield series, which is really just, uh, it's taking off, and it's not just a book series, seven books. It's going to be seven films as well. Chad, hello there, sir. How are you? 
Merry Great Christmas. To Welcome on. to State of the Nation. It's good to have you, man. Thank you. Uh, Merry Christmas to you. Yes. Thank you so much. Listen, since last we had you on, we were talking about the Britfield series. You were kind enough to send me a copy of the first book. It was really a very interesting read. I'm not even, I'm not just saying that. It really was a good read. How is it coming along now? You've got the, you got, are the films coming along? What's going on? What's new in the world of Britfield? Yeah, it's exciting too. And it's fun because I was on your show, I think about a month ago and and things change for us almost, um, almost daily. And uh, yesterday I was literally on uh, a, a call with a British distributor. So we're, we're signing a contract now for the Britfield series to be distributed throughout England, Britain, and Europe uh, starting early next year. And so that's really exciting. We've been working on that for like six months. And and so that'll be huge because that'll soon go into, you know, all bookstores, all libraries, all schools in the uh, in Britain and, and throughout Europe. And then we've got another one that we're going to be locking in in March in uh, United States. And it'll take care of the U.S. and Canada. And then uh, again, we're, we've got about 18 or 20 countries now that are interested in purchasing the international rights to the Britfield series. So, um, so that's kind of on the book, book, book side. Um, I think, oh, I, I guess, yeah, this is kind of probably new news, but this is the third draft of the movie script. It's finalized and it's all set to go. I was just talking with the producer this week and uh, we're getting ready to, to move into uh, pre-production in early spring. And at that point, you'll start to see some press releases and some, some. Uh, that's when every that's when everything goes crazy. So um, I mean, it's like we've been winding the spring for two years, you know, with the with the development of the movie. Everyone's in development, you know, and it's kind of a typical thing. But for us, it's been real development. Uh, and then obviously getting the script, and not just the script, but getting it finished that it's that it's ready to film. Now scripts will go through transitions and tweaks and stuff, but it's it, it, it's ready to go. It's very clean. I spent myself. I, we hired a scriptwriter, but I spent. I spent my my own time three weeks, 150 hours, on the third draft to take it from 168 to 148, and it's uh, it's beautiful. And it's funny because you're talking about book one, and book one's just exciting. It's a lot of fun. And I actually visited a a fan yesterday and her mom, and she's just loving the Britfield series. And she's telling all her friends about it. And her mom like bought like four or five books to give to her friends and and her daughter's already given them out to her friends. And they're starting a Britfield book club. And she's like halfway into book two now and stuff. And if you liked book one, uh, uh, buckle your seatbelts because you're going to love book two, Britfield and Rise of Lion. It's it's right along the lines of the things that you guys talk about and cover. You're going to sit there and say, I can't believe this is in this is in a book. You know, it's that kind of uh, uh, a thread behind the curtain of what's really going on. Uh, it takes place in France, so it's very exciting and stuff. So, but no, the movie is is moving full throttle. Um, our first big um, thing that we'll be doing is the director. We've got our our list of five to six specific directors, all well known. Um, all perfect fits for the movie, but whoever we get will be that right fit. Um, it'll really just depend on on availability and interest. Now, I, I would imagine their interest would be uh, at the top of their game because we believe that the Redfield movie and the series will be one of the highest grossing films in cinematic history. And as the weeks go by, and especially since we've last spoken, um, I don't know anything like this movie in in film history and we can we can dive we can start there or dive deep if you want to but uh, there's nothing like it and we're always trying to anchor it into things that are similar but there's nothing like it i think this movie is going to blow people's minds i i think they're going to be sitting there watching it and and not believe what they're seeing i mean it's so because it's so good it, it's based on family and friendship loyalty and courage fast-paced action inventor no agenda no magic no crap you know, that, that Hollywood keeps spewing out and stuff. So I think it's going to be the type of blockbuster that we've ever seen. 
Yeah, very excited to see it. Very excited to see something without all the, you know, capes and boots and superheroes right. and spells Jeez, and enough. all that. I know, enough, enough. I mean, gosh, it's just been rewritten so many times. Now, the the locations, um, you know, that, that you deal with in the book, uh, you know, Oxford, Midlands, Yorkshire, Richmond, London, Canterbury, uh, are... are does location hunting happen after a director is picked? I mean, I could, I'm just, no. my mind's going crazy trying to think of all these places that we're going to see on film to support it. No, and it's, I love your question. It's, it's spot on. Literally three days ago, as I was talking to my producer, we were going through our outline, you know, next steps and things like that. And, and, um, uh, location, uh, scout was, uh, was, was, that'll happen probably within January at some point we'll be bringing, he's got someone, but we'll see who's the best fit for it. Um, that would be, that would be a next step on our, on our, on our point. Now, now there's collaboration with the director, if you will, and stuff like that. But I mean, you know, the point is, is he'll go out, he'll find all the locations. He'll take the entire book, figure out where we're going to shoot, where we can shoot. I want to, I want to film as much as I can in England, but you know, in all fairness, we can't shut down the streets in London, you know what I mean? To get this one scene, but I do want to, I do want as many as I can, um, in England for a lot of reasons. Number one, the authenticity. Number two, the fun and the excitement, you know, that it's really filmed there. Number three, it's a great benefit for the country because I think once the movie comes out, there's going to be a whole nother tourism industry. And I'm not kidding. It's a lot like um, Dan Brown's The Da Vinci Code. And there was a big spike in that. I think for us, it'd be different because suddenly families will be taking vacations to England, which is a great country to visit anyway. And they'll start up in Yorkshire and they'll go to, I mean, how cool is that? Oxford, Windsor, London, and Canterbury. You know, you're really just covering so much of it. Um, so that, that is, that is like one of the number one things on our, on our list. Um, yeah. So that'll well, be fun. I wish it was me. Chad. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> well, well, you're going to be heavily involved. Goodness gracious. You're the creator. I'll be over there. I, yeah. I, I'm just wondering, um, you know, when we saw the Harry Potter films come out after the books, the books had uh, just taken up, uh, taken off like a storm. And then the, the film franchise came into existence. I would, so I would think Hollywood is, is itching for another good franchise. And I love the fact that, that this, as you pointed out, Chad, it's not a bunch of, uh, you know, uh, uh, dragons and magic, and it's not the Marvel thing. It's, it really is about close, tight friendships. But all I can think about is who's going to play, who's going to be in the cast, because it sounds to me like a bunch of young actors' lives are about to be changed if they True. jump on board uh, with the Britfield series, because that's uh, that's a long run for them. Do you guys have any actors or actresses in mind? We do. And, and again, it's funny because I've, I've had these conversations this week because it's we're kind of getting geared up. It's funny because it's Christmas. And so you're sort of winding down and trying to relax. But on the other side of it, you're getting revved up because we're really getting into that pre-production stage. We do have our um, wish list of all the all the different actors. Um, it, it's interesting, too, because Tom and Sarah, uh, 12 years old, they're the main characters. And those will be some very, very talented British actors, uh, whether they're 14 or 15, but have a youthful look. Um, more than likely they've been in the game for at least eight to 10 years, meaning they're just professional actors. Um, and I'm sure that you'll, you'll know of them, but not know of them. And that's usually the way it is. It's like, nobody knew the cast, you know, uh, in Harry Potter. Um, of course now they do, but there'll be some other veterans like professor, Ga uh, professor Hainsworth, um, detective Gower stone, the grievances. I mean, I've got, I've got the perfect actors, which I know I'm going to get, uh, for all these roles. <laughs> in fact, they were the actors I was, I, when I was thinking of it and writing book one, they were the actors that were popping into my head and stuff. So, um, so a lot of really great, uh, veteran character actors will be a part of it. All British will be casting in Britain from Britain. 
Um, it's not that Americans can't do a couple of great British accents, but I wanted this authentic again as and real as possible. And uh, if we're filming in England, it'd be great. Just it'd be easy to you know get actors from there, and then uh, be using one of the studios there. So, oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, obviously, you're very personally involved. I mean, uh, last time you were here, you were talking about the script and the rewrites, and now you've given us an update on the rewrites. Congratulations, by the way, getting Thank it you. down to where you needed it. Is this um? Is this normal when an author uh, takes their property to a film for for them to be as involved as you are? I mean, I I, I was a big fan of Clive Barker, and I felt like uh, when the when he directed a film um, and was more involved as other than a producer, it felt like his work. And then when other people yes. started writing for the franchise, it kind of fell off. So, are are how how does that work for you as an author? Yeah, and I and I will, and it's it, this stuff has been planned for over ten years, if you will. So it's great to talk about it now. And people, some people out there still are like Britfield. What are you talking about? And it's just like we've been building this for over twelve years. This is a major, um, uh, you know, paradigm shift in literature, in media, and in film. Uh, we're going from a soft launch, which we've been doing for the last four and a half, five years to a major global launch next year. And so things will start to stir and rock. Um, but no, it's not necessarily at all. Often um, the author has very little to do with it. Uh, I know I know. it's funny too, because my literary agent, uh, her, her brother uh, worked with um, uh, the author of the Harry Potter series in the adaptation <laughs> of the script. But with that said, you know, um, they'll use that for their own help, but often the author is just isolated. It's like, okay, thanks. We're using your work. And they pretty much have signed off on it. They don't even own the rights to it anymore. I own everything. And, and I did that purposely. So I'd have complete creative control because we don't need the nut, nut jobs out there uh, putting in their crap or, or taking it off the reservation and stuff. And it wouldn't benefit them anyway, because we've got a wonderful timeless classic story that you don't want to touch. Um, you know, we could do over, we could do over a billion dollars uh, with the first movie. I, I, it's interesting. We'll see. But I just have a sense that this thing is going to set box office records. You're going to start seeing lines around the theater like you did with the first Star Wars 1977. And, I, and I'm and i going to use Star Wars as a sort of benchmark. Forget the Potter series. Uh, Star Wars is the fourth highest grossing film in cinematic history. And this is a lot like Star Wars. It has nothing to do with Star Wars, but it's a lot like it. It's that kind of fun family adventure. It's just not in outer space. You know what I mean? Then I say that, too, because I was hugely influenced as a child with Star Wars, right? Who wasn't? Yeah. It was just, it was so great. And, and it's funny, I, I, as I was giving my national school tour, because I drove 9,000 miles, 200 schools, uh, over 40,000 students, I'd say, you know, uh, what does, what does Britfield have to do with Star Wars? And I'd say absolutely nothing. And I'd say absolutely everything, you know, original story, great, great, you know, great uh, characters, adventure, action, humor, the hero's journey, triumph over tragedy, all those elements that you pull from successful films, and there's not many of them, went into Britfield. Um, so I will, you know, and, and part of it was kind of a reluctance, you know what I mean? Because you just get exhausted. But I, but I see, like with the script too, and it's like, I spent a year finding the right script writer. And we were dialed in and we would have hours and hours of conversations thinking that we're on the same page and, and not that we weren't, but again, too, it's just like by the second draft, he was still missing quite a bit of stuff that just shouldn't be missed. And that's when I, I had to sort of set, set it down and say, look, I'll just, I'll do the third draft. And again, I I'm busy and I didn't have three weeks and I didn't think it would take me three weeks. And I literally spent three weeks, 150 hours to come through the script all the way through. And then when I was done with that, and that's all on the computer and I got it from 168 to 148, then I did the paper edit. So I made on, on the computer, 
uh, first round, I, I made about eight, 800 to 900 changes in, this, in a script that was already relatively tight. When I did my paper edit, which was the final polish, that took me five days. I made another 400 edits. And that could be just wow. one word, you know? And so, you know, like I'm getting more into the system now. And so I will be, I'll be on the set. I'll make sure that everything's done right. I'll be watching. Uh, I mean, I have a great product producers and, and, and it's a, it's a father and son producer team. Um, the father's been in the industry for 40 years, but the son has the youth and the intelligence and he's got great instinct. It's like he did the final. So when I was done with it, I gave him the script and he went through it and had like maybe 50, 75 little points, like page this and that. And, and they were just, they were great. I mean, you know what I mean? It was, it was like, you're right. You know? And so he's, he's, he's planning to be over there in England or wherever it is filming. That's his job. That's what we discussed. Uh, we've discussed at length, um, you know, the quality control and the stuff that will not happen in this film. Um, and I pity anyone that brings that even attempts to bring it into this film. So, <laughs> well, right. you know, I, I tell you what, Chad, it seems to me that, um, you, you've, you're, you're getting kind of lucky here with your timing on this because, uh, the Marvel movies are starting to kind of wear thin with people that people are like, okay, good God, we got another Marvel. And I would think that Hollywood's probably looking at that saying, you know what? We don't need our, our, our 15th incarnation of, uh, Captain Marvel or whatever. Let's, so this is back to basics. This is almost a, uh, uh, you could almost, I, I read the book and I was, uh, I was I was thinking almost Mark Twain, almost Huckleberry Finn type <laughs> wow. adventure. You know what I mean? Right. Now, I'm not saying it reads yeah. exactly like that, but I'm saying that's the kind of story it is. It's it, it, all of these folks are grounded in a in a sense of reality that you can yes. easily wrap your brain around. We're not looking for Thanos's, uh, you know, uh, golden glove or whatever the hell it is. I I don't even know to be honest with you. Sure. But 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 that's what's great about Britfield is it is founded in uh, uh, in reality. Uh, uh, hyper reality for sure, but still yeah. reality. It's not a bunch of uh, Marvel crap. Now it's like James. We always said it's like James Bond meets Born Identity meets uh, Narnia. You know what I mean? There so, you go. Because it's like the James Bond movies, or, or even Mission Impossible movies. It, it feels like a Mission Impossible series for kids, right? Because it's it's fast paced. It takes place in current time. It's very realistic. And I and of course I take a little bit of liberty with the balloon, you know, in book one, which you read and stuff. But everything yeah. else, it's like, can it be done? Is it realistic? I mean, I spend hours and hours researching, you know, distances, times, um, daylight. You know, I mean, you know what. When, do, when does it snow? How cold does it get in December? You know, uh, what kind of flowers are grow or what, what are the trees? Look? I mean, everything. So the, all those details and that authenticity is in the story that's just anchored in that reality. Because what we have is, it's funny too, because the last Marvel movie was a complete bomb. In fact, it's it was a disaster. It's the worst, I think it's the worst performing uh, movie to date. Well done, because they're, again, they're trying to bring in their crap that nobody is interested in. And I mean, nobody's interested in their crap. Um, they think it is, and we think we're a divided nation. We're not, nobody want, likes this stuff. You know, don't read the statistics. They're all... <laughs> all just full of crap yeah but yeah. uh chad I, I i'm with you on that i think america is too we're down to our last 20 seconds here so okay. i have to get the website in britfield.com is where you go get the books get them consume them read them make sure you make those pictures share in your em. head before you get to is share them and then yes. you will see it on the big screen coming soon chad stewart thank you so much uh we really appreciate you merry christmas, merry christmas. have a great season honor best of luck this Thanks. is State of the Nation. All right. This is State of the Nation on TNT Radio. Stay tuned.